Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz musician and Kansas Poet Laureate, Kevin Rabus. He talked with us about his latest volume of poetry called All That Jazz, and he spoke about a great many things along the way, like how he became the current Poet Laureate of Kansas, his career in jazz, the Kansas City jazz scene, being a writer, and that creative spirit that he has. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. And let me let me go ahead and kick everything off here with you and ask you. I know that you got a reading at Prospero's on the 16th of July, but kind of give me an idea of what kind of whirlwind you're involved with with your latest book, All That Jazz. I'm enjoying this, my new work as Kansas Poet Laureate, which has a, a bunch of poems, as with many of my other books, about the jazz life, playing jazz drums, uh, reading jazz history, listening to jazz, um, writing in a jazzy style, and so I'm enjoying being able to let other people know about that uh, history that Kansas City is a part of. Well, and it seems like in this book there's a lot of poems that go from your early years and kind of traverse to poems about Chuck Haddock down in the Mar archives, even to one of my favorite poems, which is The Night of the Election, when you talk about that dark root going in for its last sip of water. Um, right. Is it safe to say that this collection is kind of a retrospective on, the, say, the last 15, 20 years of your life? Yeah, well, you're right. Um, the things that have been going on over the last 15 years or so make their way into the poems. Many about jazz, the jazz life, playing music, being a part of a group, studying jazz is, is, is a storm and such but also political life and what was going on during that that during the last few months. The one thing you did <laughs> mention, too, is, is, a, is a practitioner of jazz, a writer, a lover of jazz, obviously. There's a lot of this that's infused by that jazz. Why do you love Kansas City jazz and jazz so much? It's so much a part of the town's history and uh, cultural and artistic flavor um, you know, I started into jazz when Doug Talley came to my uh, middle school. I went to Hospice Middle School, and uh, he came in and said, do you guys uh, want to play? And uh, he would play something on his saxophone, and he would say, play it back, everybody. And he would say, you two on drums. And so that was how I was first indoctrinated into it. Then we would go out and hear Doug Talley play at places like Plaza 3, and uh, eventually I went to UMKC and was a part of the jazz program there and started playing my own gigs. Um, Brian Hicks was one of the first people to hire me steadily. I played one gig with Karin Allison, um, and uh, I had my own groups uh, as well. And then later on I played with Myra Taylor and the Wild Women of KC steadily. That's wonderful, man. If, if you could pick a jazz song, to be playing in the background while you read all that jazz. What jazz song would epitomize a really good vibe for this book? Uh, maybe Well You Needn't, um, the Thelonious Monk tune. That would probably get at the flavor of, of how some keys sound in the melody. The notes themselves seem a little bit off, but uh, they really do fit when you listen to how it's resolved. 
Can you pick me a good jazz poem from this volume from the author's mouth and just recite it to me? One that really hits you that's very specific to not only your life as a jazz musician that would kind of wrap up that flavor of Kansas City jazz. Right. You know, we were talking about my starting out playing and uh, that the poem that uh, is about being called up by Karin Allison does that pretty well. You know, the one thing that strikes me about your poetry, you know, there's so many styles out there. You know, there's there, there's just, you go through the annals of poetry, and, and as somebody that likes to write myself, the thing about your poetry to me is that it's like, and I know we're talking jazz here, but it's almost like a pop song. It's like it's something that you ingest, but you regurgitate later on. It's like that line out of a song or that hook in a song. It's like it comes back to you. You think about it. There's there's these levels of reverberation that go through what you do. Do you feel like that when you write? Is there a is there a thematic, subjective hook that you go for when you write? And a lot of times the hook is a quote from somebody or, you know, getting at deeper meanings. I try to find out what are the meanings beneath the ordinary things and people around us. What does it mean when they say uh, too young, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, Mill plays Big Wind, which is a song that has its own set of connotations and such. Uh, the bl Big Wind blows in and blows back out of Begin as part of that. So, yeah, I blew into that gig, and now I'm gone. It's all over. Talk to me about how you, you – you kind of touched a little bit on how you got into jazz, but how did you get more specifically into poetry and the arts? How did that become your life? In some ways, poetry and jazz – um, got started to grow together like two trees when I was working at the Mars Sound Archive and Chuck Haddix was, was my boss. Um, we would listen to that Langston Hughes, Charles Mingus, Leonard Feather collaboration, Weary Blues, the, the LP from 1958. And, you know, and I heard uh, Langston Hughes reading poetry to, um, to Charles Mingus. I thought, you know, I'd like to do something like this. I really... Uh, I found I found a kind of calling. Now it took me several years to bring that together, but eventually it became the thing. So has it always been this dream for you since listening to that that poetry and music were going to be a part of your future? Or did you think something else was going to be your profession or your artistic vision? A lot of things, including uh, I wanted to be a concert timpanist at one first at one point. The person who plays kettle drums. You know, I, I wanted to write novels, um, but uh, writing poetry and inspiring others to write poetry uh, became my main, main thing. And um, uh, it kind of gathered together my many influences and, and loves and joys, including writing about jazz, including, you know, getting words down on the page. So what were some of your favorite jazz albums when you were growing up or in those formative years with Chuck or at any point? What do you remember being kind of like a backbone for you to really fall in love with jazz? Uh, Blue Train is one, The Real McCoy, um, uh, uh, Changes 2 by Mingus, um, um, lots of Thelonious Monk uh, recordings, including Brilliant Corners, um, um, everybody loves Love Supreme. That came my my love of that one came a little bit later. Those are a few of them. So in the food chain of the poetry world, it's hard not only to get published but to really make a clear living or get clear distinctions because 
it's just one of those things, kind of like jazz, where it's really hard to make your mark and there's not a lot of money in it. But in your life specifically, especially now, you've kind of climbed to the top of that proverbial poetry food chain, and you're the Kansas Poet Laureate. That has to be an honor, and a, a big honor. And how did this happen? set out to do as much as I could as a poet, which includes you know, writing and sending out, publishing eventually. In a few weeks here, I'll, I'll have my ninth book out, and most of those are poetry. Some of them are poetry and stories, uh, so poetry and fiction or memoir. Um, so I wrote as hard as I could. I tried to experience as much as I could and get that written down. Um, and then uh, I did a lot of readings and talks across Kansas. And so when the Kansas Humanities Council saw my dedication to uh, poetry and I applied, they eventually chose me to be a spokesperson for poetry uh, for the next couple of years. What is it about Kansas City Jazz? I think when you get the bug, it stays in you and reverberates throughout kind of your artistic voice. What has it been specifically about Kansas City Jazz that has endeared you so much to want to pursue that and become a part of your voice? Well, I, I mean, I guess there's so much tradition there. You really can't play in Kansas City without knowing a guitar of Charlie Parker tunes, for instance. You know, I learned a lot from what some will call African-American classical music. And my small participation in that long line of greatness um, has enriched my life and made me feel uh, uh, full and uh, and full of beauty. Just learning a, a little bit about the tradition has opened my eyes to a kind of community of geniuses from our area. How do you feel about your career up to this point? You've been writing, you've been creative for decades now. You're at a point right now where you're the Poet Laureate of Kansas. Uh, you're at Emporia State. seems like things are going good. How do you feel about your career and life at this point? Well, all's well. You know, as long as I have time to write and polish that writing, I feel fulfilled whatever I'm doing. Right now and for the past several years, since about uh, 1996 or so, teaching has been a big part of that and continues to be a big part, inspiring others to get into poetry and find their passions and write about them. In my case, jazz is one of those big subjects, as are things like family, um, kind of masculinity and manhood, um, uh, romance. Uh, but jazz is in many ways a centerpiece. So helping others to find the things they want to write about—that's uh, one of the one of the deals. And then finding how others are writing about their lives and the lives around them. You know, what are the forms and structures one can use to write about their lives? And you know, in jazz, that would be the melody and the chord progressions is one part of the piece of the pie. Um, in poetry, it ends up being things like form poems sonnets, sestinas, pantoons, etc., and then patterns in free verse. So let me ask you this. You know, you got your finger on the pulse of, of poetry, and you also have your finger on the pulse of jazz as well. So let me, I'm wondering, what do you think the health of jazz in America in 2017 is? There are great things going on. You know, I'm not as connected as, as I would like to be. You know, as I'm, I'm thinking about folks that I've seen um, come back or or back for a while, like the great things Herman Mahari's doing, Logan Richardson, Brian Stevers, those all bode well for, you know, the health of jazz overall. Um, and then when I look at folks like 
that have moved back that are now kind of the, I don't want to call them, maybe elder states people, but they're not that old, like Todd Strait coming back to Kansas City. Um, I think that bodes well. You know, there's so many great drummers right now when it comes to the jazz world in Kansas City. I don't think there'd be a place for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure there would be. There's always room in the Kansas City jazz scene for sure. You know, speaking of the nostalgia and all of that kind of bespeckled notion of the Prohibition days with Pendergast and the history of Kansas City jazz, if you can get into a time machine and get plopped down in a quadrant of Kansas City in a certain year, where are you going? Who are you going to go see live? That's a really difficult one. Um, you know, I kind of like to see uh, Claude Fiddler Williams playing uh, guitar back in, in in the day. That I think I'd enjoy seeing that if I could go in a time machine. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What's one of the nicest things someone has said to you about your poetry? A fan letter. I guess somebody saying something like, it seems authentic that I've captured what I was trying to uh, get down, uh, what I was trying to hear and see. Um, like, they felt like they were really there, and uh, uh, it captured the music or the life those musicians are, are, are in. What do you think the definition of a successful poet is? Oh, I don't, I mean, I think there are lots of different ways of being successful as a poet. You could write something and it moves one other person. They read that thing and they feel and think what you were thinking and feeling in that moment. That would be one. Um, it could, on the other side of things, be something like you've got a book that many people have read and enjoyed and, and cherished and keep on their shelves. Um, there's a, or maybe you write a poem for an occasion and it's the perfect thing to say at that Valentine's Day or wedding or funeral. This is my final question for you, and I want to know this to get kind of the essence of the author and the musician and the person. Everyone has a version of who you are, Kevin. Your family, your friends, your business associates, those that you're going to read poetry for that buy your book. But when you wake up and face the world, who are you? I think I'm a, a, a poet who used to play jazz drums. That's probably it. I still play, but uh, um, uh, the, the things I play right now are fairly easy um, if you look at the big spectrum of things. And so, uh, you know, I love, my, I love my time playing professionally. I still play out, but not really for anything beyond a tip cup right now. And I, I really enjoyed that experience of coming up through the ranks, going to jam sessions, getting my first gigs. Um, I, I will always cherish that experience. So now that we have very crystal clear reception, I'd love to play a poem that you would recite on the show. Would you mind reciting that poem one more time for me? Yeah, sure thing. Okay, right so this one's called At 20, like at 20 years old. Karin calls on the red dorm phone, and I pick up my first big gig. Teacher's out of town, and Karin heard me sit in and solo at Plaza 3 and called me over said, Kid, you've learned this language, and we swapped cards. She knows I'm not 21, says no one will know. I pack my drums carefully as I can, cherry shells and big black bags that zip, my hardware, those metal rods and a ski bag, what I can afford. I put in more hours behind the kit, watch my hands, arms in the mirror, work form and play low, stay soft, but still burn, hit, stick, attack. At the gig, I can hang, keep up, find the pocket, and sit in it. Karin grins, 
stops looking back and sings like on any other purple night. And the guys pat me on the back when they go to drink, doing fine. Second set, thick Richard Ross sits in wearing African rags, his voice like his chest and belly full gold. And the townies show up, the half-blind drummer with Coke bottle specs, Southpaw with his black leather vest, who tries to razz me, says, how old? and calls the bar to card me, who do, who let me play the last set, but say, not him, not again. Milt says, okay, son, and kicks Big Wind, song he sings, moans to low bass notes, and I swift quick on brushes, just me and him, and Karn gives me the thumbs up, pushes the check into my pocket, says, next year, young man. Perfect, man. Kevin, hey, I think I got everything I, I I was looking for. I appreciate you taking some time out. It's good to reconnect with you, man. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. You know, as they say, uh, keep the poetry in your life and have a jazzy day, my friend. That's right, my man. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Kevin for his poetry, his jazz, his time, and his honesty. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.